Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. There's never been a better time for physical products than now. My name is Dallin Drew Bay, and I want to learn from the best minds in the industry. This is the golden age for consumer products. This is a time where anyone can go from zero to financially independent. This is the physical products movement. Welcome to the physical products movement. My name is Dallin Drew Bay. I am your host. This podcast is powered by Fiddle Inventory, the best the fastest, the most innovative inventory management software to ever hit the market. The, these guys are disrupting this industry. No more hefty servers, no more unresponsive customer support. Fiddle is cloud-based, so nothing will get in the way of your production. And Fiddle's created a one-of-a-kind Kanban or Trello board view, so you can see your work orders and sales orders in the most clear way possible. And the best part is, Fiddle is free. It has room to grow and paid plans as you go. But if you want to get started, there's no lengthy demos, no binding contracts, and the free lasts forever. Free trials are a thing of the past. So go to fiddle.io slash podcast today to see the latest episodes of this podcast and also to get started. Well, first and foremost, could you um, introduce yourself and your background for us? For sure. My, my name is Lance Williams. Uh, I currently work in a company called Gravel. One of the co-founders there was a guy named Chris Livingston, one of my best friends, and it's a great time. We make less travel products and stuff, um, and then do a lot on Kickstarter and whatever else. Uh, how, how much of my background do you want? Um, as much as you want to share, it's just interesting to me. I think I think it's cool that you uh, you had the guts to go into starting your own product. For sure. Yeah. So I mean, for me, I've always people like to think a little bit different. So I never did that good in school, even though I really love learning. But I just was like, wait, why am I why am I learning this math that I'm never going to learn? And like. Instead of most kids have those thoughts, they think, and then they're just like, well, well, my parents told me to do it. But I was just like, ah, <laughs> not into it for some reason. Not and for so, me. <laughs> like, thinking back on it, yeah, thinking back on it was really weird. It was like, okay, I tried, like, in junior high, I tried once to, I was like, okay, I'm going to study super hard for this task, it's geography, I think. I was like, I'm going to study super hard, and I'm going to kill this test. I'm going to show, you know, show my parents I can do a job. Yeah. And literally studying for, like, a couple nights straight, whatever came in, failed the test. 
Never studied for a test again. And Amazing. that's why I didn't do that great in school, probably. So that's kind of, I don't know, I've always been a different thinker. I've always been the dude that's like, in elementary school, I was crocheting beanies and selling them to my friends. And, you know, junior high, I started a clothing company called Niche. Mm. And I would just write Niche on everything. So, like, anybody that was friends in junior high or high school with me knows about Niche. That's awesome. And then, so then in, in high school, I started to like, and then, yeah, and even in my early 20s, I'd, like, sew a lot of stuff and sell them, like, hood, like modify hoodies or even I'd screen print stuff myself. Anyway, so I was just always making some kind of business. Never, those businesses never made, like, any money, but I, I just loved creating the business side of it, and that's still what I, like, really love to do. Like, my favorite part of the business is the brand-new phase when I get a conceptual, like, like, what the brand is going to be perceived as, what kind of price points are we going to hit? Are we going to be premium or are we going to hit a super low price point? Are we going to be artistic? Are we going to be eco-friendly? Are we going to, you know, mm-hmm. just, and then building like logos and all that, the, the match that vibe. It's just my favorite, favorite thing to do and product design, I guess. Yeah. That kind of fits in with that as well. So. That's awesome. So do you feel like you fall more on, the creative side of things as opposed to, you know, kind of having an engineer brain? Yes. Yeah, I would for sure say that. I, there's times in my life when I thought I wanted to be an engineer. Cause even growing up, I would take it. I got in a lot of trouble for just taking things apart that I wasn't supposed to. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when something would break around the house, like I remember my mom's hair dryer broke. And it wasn't just like a throw it away thing. It was like, oh, maybe you're just going to take apart. He loves taking apart stuff. So then I'd take it apart and like try plugging it in after I take it apart and like see, you know, how it all works. So I think I have some engineer in me. And I, but detail oriented stuff is not my jam. And I feel like, uh, I feel like they're usually pretty detail oriented. It's <laughs> awesome. That's super cool. So what, you know, no one ever develops a product or, you know, a brand overnight. <laughs> so what kind of led yeah. you into creating your products and starting this company? So really, well, as I said, I've always kind of had a brand. So like 10 years ago is when I like, maybe eight years ago is when I like launched my first official company and like ordered production of this shirt. Mm-hmm. It ended up failing miserably. I went from there and I like started making these watches. Anyway, so I, I had these businesses that like helped me to gain knowledge. Eventually, I quit my full time job, and uh, my plan was to like start this hammock company. And uh, I ended up just doing whatever I could to make money, and that got me like pretty heavily into video work, and then mm. specifically like Kickstarter video work. Yeah. So. So because I was, like, diving into that, I, I started, uh, uh, I was a subcontracted employee for a Kickstarter marketing agency doing, like, mm. videos for them. So just in general, I was, like, I kind of just dove into uh, Kickstarter and Kickstarter marketing and, like, learned it super well. So I wanted to, I was launching, like, these sleeping bag hammocks, but it was, like, such a niche. And they're like for camping, and I really don't camp that much. So I was like learning that that wasn't really a company I was passionate about. I yeah. just really like, again, I, I conceptualized the company, even though it wasn't my niche, I conceptualized it. So I loved like the branding and like 
how this company was portrayed. But again, it wasn't, it didn't line up with me. So about that time, I knew all this stuff about Kickstarter. I wanted to launch something else. And uh, I went to a Kickstarter marketing company, or like a Kickstarter launch party. Yeah. This brand called Wandered. They're also in Utah, like some of the best dudes ever. But I went to their launch party and gave away some hammocks there. And my business partner, Chris, was there. And we have a bunch of mutual friends, and he had this idea for a toiletry bag. So he was like, hey, I'm going to go. Everybody says I should meet this Lance guy because he knows a lot about Kickstarter. I have this idea for a toiletry bag. Maybe he'd want a partner. So, yeah, we ended up partnering on that, and that's what kind of launched Gravel. I, At the time, I was using Gravel kind of as my, uh, I don't know, the front for my videography business. Mm. But And so we, we thought of other things like Yonder. But anyway, I got Yonder sounds a lot like Wandered, and those are our homies, so we're not going to use Yonder. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, and they're, you know, coming up with names is the hardest part, but I already loved the name Gravel, and so it was just like, all right, if this, you know, let's just use Gravel. I don't need it for my video work necessarily, uh, and it, I think it fits this, you know, the branding of what I want to do for this company really well. Yeah. That's awesome. And then once you guys had the idea, of course, it was just super easy. No problems came up, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just, it was like, I dream of genie, like, just nod your head and it was there. It was great. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> so how many, um, you know, you you talk about uh, the, the toiletry bag. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about what products you guys have? Yeah. So we started out with that small toilet bag. We now call it the Slim. Um, and we, yeah, launching that was honestly a pain. Like, we designed it in, like, two months or something or three months. And then uh, we, like, held the focus group. We knew it wasn't really exactly what we wanted, but we wanted to hold the focus group early to get, like, a good vibe for, like, where it was at. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like the, we, we usually invite photographers and designers to those focus groups, not just the people who will use the product. Oh, that's cool. Because we also have to try and sell the product. So we want, you know, we want photographers and marketers to be there to like, be like, Oh, this is going to be hard to sell kind of deal. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much what they told us. They're like, ah, it's not there yet. These are the reasons why, like at the time it was a lot bigger. Um, there wasn't like a hang strap. So like, the marketability of it was pretty low. So we were like, ah, crap. But they're like, we like we like the concept of it. Just make it more marketable. So literally for like three or four months after that, we were just trying to figure out how to make it marketable. Hmm. And uh, <coughs> anyway, eventually, I think, I think I just got super sidetracked to your question. But eventually, uh, we were able to change that and launch that. So that was the first toiletry bag. Uh, with that, we moved to Vietnam. Like, after we launched that, we took the money manufactured it but then we were like we want to develop more products so i convinced chris to quit his job and we moved to vietnam with our families to develop more products Hmm. and it came down to like a month before we were supposed to come home and we hadn't developed anything we were trying to develop the blanket that we eventually launched but we weren't getting anywhere close so we're like crap if we don't launch something before we leave we have to go home and get jobs again like that sucks so in the last month we developed we developed the product, sampled the product, uh, so we actually had a physical one. In our- hey, honestly, the manufacturer looked at us. There's this dude, Jason, who works there, who's from Taiwan, <laughs> and he looked at us like, you guys are 
crazy. There's no chance we're going to be able to launch sometime. <laughs> They're like, Jason, we have to. So, like, let's do it. So, and fortunately, they got the you know, sampling done. We filmed the whole Kickstarter. And then in one month, literally, we developed and launched the Kickstarter. Awesome. And uh, that was the first one that, like, super took off. We, like, we ended up pre-selling, like, almost a, or over a million dollars, like $1.1 million in pre-sales wow. on that. And that, like, is what kind of created Gravel. It's like, oh, because before that, Chris and I were just kind of like, yeah, we'll create this kind of a, a passive thing that, you know, we can run this on the side and, like, travel, and it'll just kind of bring us some extra income. But once we did $1.1 million, it was like, oh, actually, this, it'd kind of be a shame to not, like, push this to the next level, you know? Yeah. So that's when we started. That's when we, once we got that product, when we hired our first employees or, or like really started subcontracting out some, you know, some talent to come help us out. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we, yeah, it, then that spring we we brought on even more people. That's when we brought on our designer and like really like finalized the blanket. And then that was our third product was a travel blanket. So it's, it's an insulated blanket that like stuffs down to like the size of a softball about. Hmm. And then it can just like carabiner. Like it's a little bit smaller than like a hammock is or something. So those are our three main products right now. Within that, we designed these silicone bottles for traveling as well. So I guess we have four products. But hmm. our whole idea is like create, like solve the problems that you have while traveling that nobody else is solving, but do it in a way that it's going to last a long time, be quality, and something like you're excited about and excited to use, you know? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So how long after the Kickstarter went well right and you you know you got your 1.1 million out of it but how long after you launched your kickstarter did you begin um having your first uh sales um so so the kickstarter the kickstarter i think we launched in like april maybe uh-huh hard to remember It it was late spring or early summer when like it ended and then we ended up getting uh product like around november or october i think oh okay of that year so maybe like six months after we launched that the first one was a little bit longer we we launched about the same time but we we got the product in december we're like okay we'll get it in december we'll ship it it's supposed to come in november but you know manufacturing so then it comes in december and we're like okay well we can still ship this out by christmas so we start shipping out as fast as we can. We get 1,500 orders out. Um, it's like the second day of shipping, but it's my wife's birthday. Mm. So I'm like, I'm, I told Chris, I was like, dude, I, sorry, I can't help ship today. Uh, my wife will kill me if, if I do. So mm-hmm. I was with her, and uh, he calls me, and he's like, and he, I think he was literally crying at the time, or he started crying right after this. But he was like, dude, they sold, it, they sold them all upside down. Like, what are you talking about? Like every single one is thrown upside down. Oh my so gosh! It was like, sorry, Jules, Jules, my wife. Like, sorry, I have to go check this out. So mm. we went, and literally all of them were thrown upside down. So we had to ship them all back to Vietnam. Fortunately, like the broker company we were working with helped us out a ton and like covered a ton of those costs. Good. Or else travel would have been tanked right there. Like it would have been over. Mm. So that one took a little bit longer. So we had to ship back to Vietnam. But for the most part, we've shipped out like. On time for our Kickstarter project, uh, we've 
we've learned a lot over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, it, it usually takes like six months from the end of the Kickstarter, four to six months, end of the Kickstarter, the winner shipping. Mm. Something like that. Awesome. Well, that's a, this is an amazing story. You make it all sound so simple. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time. So for me, it's honestly, like even when it was going up, I was the flim because it was our first Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. It was so upside down, but it was like, okay, like my from my experience, I kind of expected something to be wrong with manufacturing. Manufacturing, there's so many like details that go into it that almost always there's something wrong or something ended up different than you thought, or if if it was perfect, then you waited too long. I guess I don't know. Isn't there a quote by somebody like that? If you're not embarrassed by your first product, you waited too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a good philosophy, though. It's, it's true. Huh. Yeah, yeah, especially for your first. Now, is like the blanket, uh, the blanket was shipped out to everybody. Like, and we still had to fix something ourselves before we shipped it out. But so everything has, I don't know, every manufacturing point. There's usually some kind of something that didn't go perfect. It's true. Right now, the coronavirus, the coronavirus is really screwing over everybody right now. It is, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Has that affected your uh, your manufacturing at all? Uh, yeah, it's delayed some stuff, but we don't necessarily like we have stuff being produced in Viet- all of our stuff in Vietnam right now that we're producing. Yeah. So, but a lot of the materials, buckles, a lot of that stuff is sourced in China. Mm. So, sampling for this, we're launching a product this spring. And sampling that has been a pain because they're like, well, there's these buckles, but that factory is not responding. So mm. we're going to have to use these. And it's like, oh, that was not exactly what we want to use. But I guess it's out of work for the Kickstarter project kind of thing. So that's where we're at with that. And then, yeah, I have a lot of friends in manufacturing like, that are sourcing products and stuff. And it's been way rough on everybody. I bet. Because you don't really, I don't know, you don't really think... You think, okay, it's such the, like you're going to run out of your best-selling stuff if, yeah. if it's delayed for too long. But then the thing you don't think about is your best-performing ads are featuring your best-selling stuff. So then right. all of a sudden you, you have to like either use ads that aren't performing nearly as well or redesign ads with your you know some of your stuff that doesn't sell as well. But then, anyway, so there's like so many layers of stress to it than just like, oh, we're going to be out of stock for a little bit. You know? Right. You have to, it affects marketing and operations and everything. Revenue is affected. Yeah. It's, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's a big, <laughs> it's a way big deal. Fortunately for us, the only thing that's really been a big pain for us is trying to sample out this product that we're launching this spring. Mm. And that, anyway, so I'm, I'm actually heading to Vietnam tomorrow so that we can like finalize a bunch of stuff on it. Uh, been super delayed because they haven't been able to get materials and stuff until now. So. Uh, it's a process. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, great, though, honestly. Like, it sounds like a pain, and it is a pain, but life's great. It's It'll awesome. So do you guys, um, if you're manufacturing Vietnam, do you have a warehouse here um, that you receive all the products? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we run out of Evil Box, which is Norm. So they hold all of our products and ship them all out and stuff for us. Super awesome people. That is awesome. Like those dudes a lot. 
So, yeah, honestly, shipping is the worst thing about a business. Like, I don't want to deal with it. No matter what, there's going to be hiccups and errors and lost packages and shipping sucks. Mm-hmm. Can't wait till Amazon fixes all of our shipping problems. <laughs> They're right there with all this drone stuff and oh, Amazon's yeah. insane. I was so I was reading the other day that part of their intelligence is if you put an item in your cart, so you don't even purchase it, you just put it in your cart, that they will send it to your nearest distribution center before you finish the order. So no way. you can think about it. And they'll just send it over to the nearest distribution center. And if you don't buy it, they'll just that's send honestly, it back. But that's great to know. Because it's like, oh, I'm thinking about getting this. I if I do get it, I'll need it in a hurry. So I'll just put it in my cart. Yep. So you get it easier and faster. That's rad. Amazon. They honestly, from a business, Amazon sucks to work with. But as a customer, they're incredible. <laughs> they do suck to work with as business. Have you guys tried to do any Amazon sales? Yeah, we did for a little bit, but it was, we we need to figure out a better Amazon strategy. It was just cannibalizing a lot of our web sales. Yeah. So we'll be paying all this money, you know, all this money in Facebook and Instagram ads to push it over to our website. And then people are like, okay, I'll look at this and then I'll go order on Amazon, which we make. Amazon takes 20% versus, mm. uh, you know, 2% plus 70 bucks a month to Shopify. You know, like Shopify takes like three and a half percent total is probably less than that. Yeah. And it's like versus the 20%. So we just couldn't justify the margin on yeah. Amazon. We were like losing money. So we pulled it off. We still are selling bottles. There's still some bottles on there, but yeah, we if, need to revisit our Amazon strategy. But Amazon's tough because it, to me, it just seems, it seems like Amazon's a great place for, um, I, I don't you know. This is probably going to come off wrong, but cheaper product, right? Like it's not, sure. you know, like, so there's this little music shop that I helped um, get running and they're based out of Springville and they're still surviving. Wow. Like as all these music shops are shutting down and it's because we started selling these little electric tuners through the shop and they became one of num- Amazon's number one distributors for these tuners. And they're just these wow. cheap, like, one-off quick things, right? But, yeah. and that's where it's good, right? But where you've got a unique product that has been, uh, you know, you're marketing on social and you're driving traffic to your website, it, it does feel like it's, you know, a waste of time to then send them over to Amazon. For sure. Well, honestly, I like just that a lot of, like, Amazon's kind of a race to the bottom. Yep. Who can get the cheapest price point? And that's all anybody looks at. It's like, okay, this one has 3,000 reviews. It's four stars. This one has 3,000 reviews. This And it has four stars. All right, well, it's cheaper, you know? Yeah. And so these, these Chinese companies that just have a warehouse in the U.S. and are, you know, like, that's who's going to win because they're manufacturing it and they're able to sell, you know, they don't, they cut out that margin, you know, so we have to build in because we're not the manufacturer. If that makes sense. Right. So how do you feel like you guys have been able to craft your story and your design to, um, lead to, you know, sales conversions through your site? Because it sounds like you're doing awesome with that. A lot of people struggle though, to get 
you know, sells through Shopify or sells through their own, their own websites. Yeah. So I think a big benefit that we have is that I did video for a long time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies have to hire a videographer and to get a good one, that's a, you know, a few grand pretty easily. Yeah. You get a really good one, you're in like the 10 plus thousand dollars, you know? And it's like, it's really hard for a small company to justify even like two or three thousand dollars for an ad. So fortunately, I can create a ton of ads, and we can pump them out and really test a bunch of different things through a bunch of different variants. And it's not—it's only costing my time, which is free to us because I, you know. Yeah. So, I think that's been a huge part, and then also just my knowledge of how to create Kickstarter videos. I think that comes into play with ads. Because really all you're trying to do is get somebody to imagine using it. Mm -hmm. The second you get somebody to imagine using it, they're sold. They're going to buy it. As long as they can afford it. Like, if they can justify it at all, like, it's an easy sale. So, mm -hmm. we kind of do that same thing with that with ads. We just want... The, the things we really focus on is showing the product well. So, you're like, oh, you know, you kind of imagine yourself hanging the toilet bag up on the wall and, like, being able to grab your toothbrush shot really easy. A shot that, like, a lot of resonates with a lot of people. But then at the same time, in those ads, we include, like, some of the travels I've taken, like, adventure videography. So it's like, oh, if, you know, you, you want them to think, like, of themselves traveling as well, like, in our mm -hmm. space. It's like, oh, when I travel, I want it to be easy and simple. So this poetry back helps me to do that when I'm traveling. You know, so it's kind of a mixture of all those things. Hmm. But the main thing is just getting them to imagine themselves using it. That's what, like, that's what sales is in general, I guess. Yeah. And marketing. Well, that's awesome. So do you feel like the most critical part for your growth has been on the marketing focus on that side of, of the business? Um, yeah, to some extent. I, I think the hardest part for us is for the last two years, We've been selling a toiletry bag, and that's it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this toiletry bag is black, and it and it's designed for men, not women's toiletries. Women still use it, but the majority of people buying it are men. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we got we got men who are harder to sell to online. We've got a product that you're we purposely built, so you're not buying more than one for yourself. You're buying one, and it'll last you the next thirty years. We, you know, so we kind of set us up, ourselves up for failure in some ways where it's like, it's a huge part of a lot of people's businesses pulling people back for more and to buy more stuff through you. Yep. Where thus far, the last couple of years, we've, it's a, been a one and done. So that's mm. what the blanket we just launched last November, so just a couple, of, three or four months ago. And it's been incredible for our website because finally we're like, oh, hey, all those people that bought toiletry bags from us over the last two years, we have a new product. It's a blanket. But then we hit, our, I don't know, all sorts of other snags because the blanket sells to 80% women. So then it's like, oh, actually, they're not in the same market. <laughs> we didn't do a, a, We're more excited about the idea of the blanket and then, like, thinking, is this going to sell to our exact audience? And, if, you know, right. we're a lot more organized now. We've, we've pulled that together. So, we're kind of, you know, we're able to design stuff now for these audiences that we've built. Yeah. But... You know, a year and a half, two years ago when we started designing the blanket and got kind of married to this idea, we weren't thinking about or doing in-depth research on the toiletry bag market, you know? Mm-hmm. Huh. 
Well, the thing that I think is inspiring talking to you and I think will be, you know, helpful for anyone listening that is aspiring uh, to be involved in products uh, is just your confidence <laughs> that you have. It, it just, you just go do it. The story that you're presenting okay. is, man, you just, you get, you work hard and you go and do it. <laughs> I love it. For sure. Do you have, well, have you read the four hour work week? I haven't. So I haven't either. I started it and I, I got like a quarter of the way through it as of five years ago or something, but there's a line in that that like stuck with me hard. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, if you're in your current day to day, like full time job, your happiness is probably like a five, right? You're not miserable for the most part, but you're not like way, you're not living your dream for most people. Yeah. It's just like a five, maybe a six if you, you know, have a good atmosphere at your work, right? Mm-hmm. But if you quit your job and try and, and like build this product or this idea that you have, the odds of you being a five or a six are super, super low. Mm-hmm. It's like you're probably going to be like a seven or eight. Even if it fails, you're probably still seven or eight. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I see no risk all of a sudden. Like, what? what's the risk, you know? And then we, I chat with people all the time, like once or twice a week about, well, you know, they have an idea for Kickstarter and they're like, I don't know, I just don't, I'm, I'm scared to take the risk. I'm like, I just, I literally see no risk. Yeah. Like, maybe a couple hundred bucks you'll risk, like making a sample. You'll risk some time, but you're going to be way more bummed if you hit 80 and you still have this idea from when you're 22. Yep. You know, it's true. I couldn't agree more. Do you have, um, any, any last thoughts or words of wisdom before we let you go? Uh, I mean, just going along with that theme, like, just go do it. Like, what what are you waiting for? You know, it's never going to get easier and it's never going to seem less draining. Like, just time to at least go if you have an idea for a product, just go make a sample and then hold, you know, start asking your friends about it. Just go do something. That I guess that's my tip. I don't know where I got it from. But in one of the books I read or something said, if you have an idea, do something within the first twenty four hours. And if it's not a good enough idea to motivate you to do it within the first twenty four hours, then it's not a good enough idea. <laughs> yeah. so I always I either like start designing logos, start designing products. If I have an idea, I always start it within 24 hours. Hmm. Just because it, I don't know, it, it kind of is my, if I'm not motivated enough, then it's easy to scratch. You know, it's an easy line. Yep. Huh. So, I love that. Let's do it in the first 24 hours. And if it's not good enough, then it will go away for you. Perfect. Okay. Yep. Um, so it, if if any of our listeners wanted to um, connect with you uh, or check out any of your products, where could I send them? Uh, so our website is graveltravel.com. And then my email is glance at graveltravel.com. So feel free to shoot me an email. I don't have to suck email, but <laughs> I also don't want to put my phone number on the internet that much. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, we'll stick to the email for now. And then honestly, I'm... I'm super down with, uh, my, anyway, I'm super down with chatting with people. I honestly do once or twice a week because my goal is to get to a point where I can spend the majority of my time just helping small businesses just for free. And like, just, cause it, 
I can see that people can so easily get to that seven or eight in happiness or nine or ten. And yeah, we're all just hanging out on the five. So if anybody wants to talk about anything, like feel free to shoot me an email. We can jump on a phone call or text or whatever. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm Real quick before this episode starts, I want to ask you, are you still using spreadsheets to manage your inventory, suppliers, co-packers, and production? Unless you're a wizard with sales and formulas, you can only grow so much with spreadsheets. When you're selling on your website, in retail stores, in online marketplaces, and more, it gets hard to track your inventory levels. Stockouts become a regular occurrence and fulfilling orders keep you awake at night. Use Fiddle instead. Our software is built to help CPG businesses like yours scale more easily with constant insight into your inventory and production at all levels. Go to fiddle.io to learn more and schedule a personalized demo.